are visiting with us this morning, their first time in the worship service here at the Emer. You're joining with us in a conversation regarding the law, that is, what we're focusing on, the moral law of God revealed to us in the Ten Commandments. So we're doing kind of a series for the next, to be honest with you, it'll probably go longer than ten weeks. <laughs> we say a ten-week service, ten-week series, on the law and the gospel, handling each one of the Ten Commandments, and how they relate to us as Christians, those hidden in Christ for righteousness' sake. Let me ask you, some that I do see some faces I don't know, how many of us in here have heard of the law, Ten Commandments of God? You've seen the movies, right? Okay, great. So we've heard of it, and then uh, I also then would ask the second portion of our series here is gospel, that is law and gospel. How many have heard the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, great. So, final question, if one plus one equals two, how many of you wonder how you, as a believer, that is, a Christian, trusting in the gospel, relate to the law, the Ten Commandments? No one wonders whatsoever. <laughs> Good. You need to wonder. That's critical to understand. You read your Old Testament. You read your New Testament. You read your Bible. <laughs> so you see in there commands, don't you? God telling you to do things. Duty revealed. Yet you hear also life-giving proclamations. Believe This is my good will toward you. Do you ever wonder how those two things work themselves out together? Duty and favor. How do you transform your life? Or is it all duty or all favor? It can be a bit Mark Luther, the great reformer, said that that is the issue of cloudy grace. Looking at the grace of God, and then it's kind of cloudy or ambiguous. We're not sure. Are we always in favor? Are we kind of out of favor? Is it breaking up one of the things The move favor? Or do I not achieve it by being saved? It cloudy, but all I wanted to read for you, by way of introduction, a person's particular testimony to them. But I think that it is applicable to all of us. I think that in some degree, more than one. This is carefully. I think this is going to spark it I know what those would be. The distinction between the law and the gospel is a completely foreign concept to many Christians, and one that eluded me for many years. Before I heard Christianity presented in these terms, the standard framework for which I understood Christianity was couched in relational language. Now, please, put yourself in this position. How is it that you relate to the Lord? How is it that you're applying to the How are we thinking about The foundation of religion was expressed to me in something like this, quote, I want to get to know Jesus more. That's the foundation. This is how I am hearing my 
life live before the face of God? How would you explain it? How would you explain your righteousness? How would you explain your love of obedience? How would you explain these things? Would you say, well, I want to get to know Jesus more. I believe this. I'm lost. Or I might hear something like this, but it's all about a relationship with the Lord. Or ambiguity. I'm not sure what is the grounds for my relationship with the Lord. How do I relate relate to the Lord? It's just it's about a relationship, not religion. I don't even know what that means. Right? Okay, great, I'm fired up. I'm out. I'm in a relationship now. I'm just not sure the writers of the relationship. I'm not exactly sure how we got into our relationship. The result of such a framework was a rather ambiguous understanding of the faith. If I was honest with myself, I only kind of knew what I believed. And I sort of knew why I believed it. How many of us have been there? Perhaps we're even there now. If I'm honest, if I sit and I put myself in this relationship vehicle, Jesus is my co-pilot, I'm not sure what he's doing as my co-pilot, Exactly, how we're related one to another, but we have a relationship that he is the Bible. I don't know exactly why I believe what I believe. My faith was dependent. As I think of it, on my experience and my emotions. Which meant for me that I really had to work hard to keep my experience going. It was important to feel close to the Lord. Because that was the primary indicator of a good relationship with Him. You ever been there? So, because it's so ambiguous, how I relate to the Lord, how I relate to the law. I see law, I hear commandment, I hear duty, and then I hear life-giving gospel. Believe in transformation. But how do these things relate one to another? I'm not sure they do. In the end, it all becomes an experience. Emotions. I wake up one day, and I feel close with the Lord. Wait, I don't want to mission strip. Things. I pass out 4500 flyers. I feel close to the Lord. He, great, yes. But are you any closer to the Lord? Because of passing the 400 flyers? Or for the rest of us? Not passing the 500 flyers? These are questions that strike our heart. How do we relate to the Lord? What is faith? This is the distinction between law and gospel. It enables all of us to move beyond the subjectivity. It enables us to 
put our confidence firmly into the person of Jesus Christ. And that is my emotions. It enables me to rightly hear do this and receive it as a direction for my life. In the life of Flyers, if you want to be saved, you're at much different than right now. Because I can understand who I am. My heart holds an asking cross, and I'm guided by it. This is how we move in our lives with the Lord. Understand the decision we law and gospel. If I could put it in more objective terminology, rather than this ambiguous idea of a vague notion of a relationship. If we know anything, it's really hard to grasp a relationship with the Lord, because consider your own relationships. No. If that's the language that enables us to understand the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, we are all in trouble. Arguably, they're a bit more messy and constantly in love constant communications we suffer a bit more in relationships we can move beyond this ambiguous idea and into the objective realities of God or us in Jesus Christ or the use of the law of God if I could define the law by now you're asking okay, so exactly what is it that we would define as law that we might then also appreciate and define very clearly Gospel, and that these two things are separate. Not to be confused, not to be swapped, not to be mixed, distinct law and gospel that both would serve our life with both ways of God. Law, if I can find law for you, it functions this way in Holy Scripture. The law is contained in commandments. Okay? So you're reading your Bible now and you're, you're picking out law. It is in commandments. What's it doing those commands? You felt this pain, I'm sure. It threatens. It burdens. And promotes no This is law. Let me read it for you again. Wrap your mind around it so we can rightly see it and recognize it in our lives as those who are also living in the reality of the gospel. Think about your relationship with Christ. Really, objectively, law and gospel. How does the law function in my life? It is contained in commandments. It threatens, it burdens, and it promises no good. It is, if I can give you an analogy we worked on a couple weeks ago, think of a wall. If you're reading think of it as a compass. I think that's the most important analogy that I've come in law because the law is a compass. It can only reveal to you north. So when you see the law revealed the Ten Commandments, it says, Thus saith the Lord, God said all of these things to Israel, and he outlines exactly who they ought to be and exactly how they ought to behave. 
see what they're looking at, but let's just picture they're looking, they're seeing these tablets, they're seeing it, and what that is doing is revealing to them a direction. Here is your God. Revelation. You're looking to there it is, contained in these commandments. He's revealing himself to me, but it can do nothing to actually get me to it can only point the direction. A law, commandment, threat, burden is a compass. It can point you northward. It can say, here is your God. There he is. That's what he has done as you're reading your Bible. If you take that compass and think, I want to find life, this compass will take me there. It will not. It will not. In your flesh, you cannot read a commandment and obey it. In your own strength. In your own power. This is all that God has revealed. I will do it today. And I'm saying naturally. We catch an obvious just for a moment. It serves as a count. There's your God. There's his voice. There's his voice. Actually, here he is. He's standing in his wonderful compass. Go north. But have any of you considered that a compass in the woods will get you north? No. It will point north. It will show. But we to pick you up and move you That's the law. It threatens, it commands, it demands. But it offers no Functions other times. There was an 18th century poem from a hymn writer named John Berich. Let me put this poem together for you because you've got your mind about the concept of law. It's eat it, drink it, and read it. Law. You hear it all the time. How are you sensitive? This is a small little poem that I think can really, really help. <laughs> Run, John, and work the law commands. This is the language of the law. As you're reading your Bible, run, John. <laughs> run, John, and work the law commands. Yet, <laughs> it finds me neither feet nor <coughs> This is a decision you cannot get to the truth. You cannot come to the law 
your gentleness. By thinking I'm going to achieve life by this covenant. Law, friends, gospel, <coughs> it points that direction. The gospel takes you in that direction. You must keep these separate and safe. Furthermore, the gospel does not push us on by friends. It does not push us on by commands. The gospel leads human. The gospel proclaims God's goodness, business. I trust that you can hear a clear decision to walk and agnostic. One according to God's goodness, his mercy, and his benefits. Let me piece together John Barrage, put forth the first portion of that book. Run, John, and work, walk, and get finds in either hands, uh, feet or hands. I can't try. <laughs> but I read it, heard it. And here it is, the putting together law and gospel in their, in their right functions. Let me read the entire poem together. He says, Run, John, and work the law commands. It finds me neither feet nor hands. But, sweeter news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and lends me. This is how to relate to the goal and acceptable 
Well, let me go to the guidance chart. Let me go to the slides this week. I'll have a good Christian life for like three hours this week. Because I, I cast out the liars. That can't fuel your life. You're already found and filled by faith in Christ. Do it close with me, not your This is law of the gospel. There are three principal ways in which we can think of God's law. I want to help you. This is our introduction. Now that I'm introducing to those of you who have just come here this morning, you're all going to come back, because this is introducing you to something for next week, so you have to come back. That's just the way introductions work. Oh, well, how will this work with everybody who's coming? It's great. They don't catch everybody, because they'll know. They need to know now what they've been introduced to. So, good. See you next Sunday. By the way, we're actually thinking this point about the law, and if we return to the law, not to confuse law and gospel, keep them separate, not to swap them, confuse the way they work. Let's think for law, about law, for just a couple of minutes. There are three practical ways in which we see the law of God serving our lives. Okay? So the first one we'll look at Romans chapter 3. If you turn to Romans chapter 3, you see the function of the law in our lives as it comes along to perform its wonders deeds, guiding us unto favor in Christ. How is the law God? Well, there are three ways in which the law will guide us. If you're there in Romans 3, we're looking at the number one use of the law, what is considered the principal use of God's law. How do commands work in the Bible? This is your question, isn't it? You've read commands, you've wondered about the commands, you've seen how you will fall short from the commands, and you're wondering, how are these commands serving? Number one, the number one function of the law is the mirror use. Okay, so if you're jotting that down, the law is functioning like a mirror. Look at how Paul speaks of the law functioning as a mirror in chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. We'll just look there. Uh, well, I'll read 19, the entire thing there, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This is the work of the law. Everybody is held under it and made accountable. Verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight. Since it's a function, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Okay? Comes the knowledge of sin. Now, if you will with me, since we're considering the number one function or principal use of God's law, when you hear commandments, what are you hearing? What is it doing in your heart and in your life when you hear commandments? Do this! Be this! Act like this! Don't do that! When you hear them, how are you making sense of the commands of the Lord of your life? Well, number one, so far, verse 20. It reveals the knowledge of one's sinfulness. This is the mirror use, or the primary purpose or function of the law. It's a mirror to you. You hear that, and you say, I can't do that. Right? Do you remember the new command? What is, what is the new law in the New Testament? What is it? Does anybody know? Jesus said, This is the command. Love one another. Okay, great. How much are you supposed to love God? Okay, great. Does anybody agree with me that that's the hardest commandment in the Bible? Okay, great. We're all underneath that. 
Y'all hear that? How are we making sense of it? It's revealing to us. The knowledge of our own sins. Turn over from the book of Romans, go a little bit further in the book of Galatians, and look at how the mirror of use continues to be explained by Paul. Just keep going a little bit further into Galatians, and what we're looking at is chapter 3. The first thing is the law of the use of the law. How is it functioning in my life? How is it functioning in everyone's lives? The mere abuse. Galatians chapter 3, look at me in verse 23. Galatians 3, verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, so again, we're held under law going forward, aren't we? Verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. So it functions like a mirror, or Paul says here, a garden. If I could put this together, how the law is functioning in your own life, as you hear commandment in Scripture, and don't give way to an ambiguous relationship with the Lord idea, but you really clearly meditate on what the Lord is saying to you in the text of Holy Scripture. Command, duty, and favor, delight. How you're putting this together in the use of duty and commandment in the mirror use. This morning, right now, the mirror use is at work in our congregation, praise the Lord. I'm looking at some of you, by the way, and you did get in front of the mirror this morning. Right? I see some people coming from mine. Women, mostly. Right? So, so, so what, think about, okay, the law. I'm here at the I'm thinking mirror use. I'm thinking, I don't know, 6.30 in the morning this morning. I'm thinking mirror. I'm thinking commandment. This is how God's law and commands and demands on are serving me. Just like this morning when I got out of bed and I stood before the mirror, here is the primary use. What did that mirror do? Was it an end in and of itself? No. What did it do? It guided me. Praise the Lord. It's your two version. Salvation that lives. It guided me for the more to your hair products and some of you for the numbers. It, it, it guided me. So if you looked into the mirror, it revealed to you a need of redemption. You saw that, because I need to be delivered. I need to make a high good shower. God had it. But okay, now the mirror function serves you in that way. This is what we speak of the law of commandment. This Paul is saying, what it does is you stand before the law of God, the commandments of God, and you hear who you are in the flesh. A sinner in the salvation. It's revealing that to you when you hear commandment that you cannot when it threatens and offers you no goodwill, you stand undone, like the mirror is It reveals to you, you are undone. Look to the products. Look to the toothpaste. Look to the soap. Look to the shower and be saved. It guided you. It revealed to you, this is trouble. I need redemption. And push you forward by revealing the knowledge of who you are without it. So to this is how also this is what us by the grace of God as it commands and demands. As it says for any burden, offers no goodwill. What 
kingdom, how does it function? It is serving to me as a leader. It's glorious. It's really who I am. And it's a journey pushing forward to progress. That is, it's pushing forward to Jesus Christ. Showing who I am. So as you were hurt this morning, at the revelation of who you really are, that's the function of the law. But the mirror, as it didn't leave you there, praise the Lord, you didn't come here directly. You went by the way of the lives. Then you came here. So too, the law function in your life. It feels, it's hurtful, it's painful, but it brings you to misery. You know that way.
use of the law is what we call the similes. The similes of the law. Go back to the book of Romans where you can see this introduction into law and gospel, how it is in the law and the truth. Turn to Romans chapter 13 and Wood. You're just in the book of Romans. Go back to Romans 13 and Wood so we can see the second use of the law. The first one is the mirror use. It reveals to you your it points you in that direction. Number two is the civil usage for all men by the common grace of God. Look with me in Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. Here is the function of the law in civil usage, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to the conduct, but to that. Will you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then he will good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword of him, for he is a servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes for the authorities of the ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is what we call the civilities of the law. You're enjoying it right now, although you might not have stopped to think about it and coming to church this morning. If you enjoy it, I'll say maybe two full experience of the civil use of the law of God in modern society. As far as I can look out, I don't think anybody was maimed or robbed last night in the home. It would be great, right? Was anybody being robbed in the home? Everyone's good. Good this morning. Then you rejoice last night in the civil usage of the law of God. We said it this morning, so you said it happens, where the law of God functions in society for the good of common man. That is a common basic man, the law of God, morality, and conscience, governing authorities that promote good and restrain evil. We've been seeing again and again and again globally the destruction that comes from that source of heaven. We think of the people who are constantly being involved in civil war. Where governing authorities indeed it's hard to bow down and honor. And the issue of civil disobedience will at some point and often does throughout society arise. And the question is difficult to ask, and it's even more difficult to answer the role of obedience to civil authorities and the way in which it is right to be civilly disobeyed. And when that red line, you hear that language, when that red line is crossed, it's a difficult issue. But even that we ask the question before we look to civility and governing authorities is because of the law of God instituted in the conscience and in the time of creation. This is the law of God function, the strength of the Lord. This is the application of how law of God is a blessing to you each and every day. It's a blessing to us right now. I'm speaking very freely, we're paying attention very freely. Some of you maybe are looking at your shoulder to see if you are in a barge and you feel like I'm not. You should be. Civil society, right now, currently, 
We're living within the rule of law. And that law is within the conscience. In some sense of shame is what we disobey. Some sense of shame is placed upon one who brings harm to another, harms little children. We all want to see that come. Justice for those who have been persecuted or hurt or injured. Where does that come from? How do we all agree upon the of justice that is possessing the power of society? Where does it come from? Christ, that I might be justified. As a Christian, 
believing in Christ, the gospel then sends me back to the law to inquire of the law. What must I do? Now that I am justified, not to the law groups, how might I be justified? Well, again, the answer to that is in Christ alone. And it'll give you a revealing peace. Then, when redeemed by the grace of God, uses of the law. Okay, so mirror, civil, and thirdly, the normative use of the law. What do I mean by normative? I just simply mean the applicational life of the law that is applicable to me. So, great. Guess what that means for us right now? We're about to embark on a 10-week, 15-week, wherever we go, study of the Ten Commandments. That's what we have just established. It's relevant. Okay, great. That's a, that's a burden off my shoulders. It's a burden off yours as you Wondering, I wonder if this is going to matter. It is. There's an ongoing relationship that you as a believer in King Christ have to the law of God. Praise In a morally ambiguous situation, that's what? I think that So the third use is normative. I want to show you that just briefly here. Look at Matthew chapter 5. If you're there, on Christ speaks to the law, she needs to be of the New Testament. Some of you can hear him over to your right, my lap. That is, you hear some child in torture. It's going to be my nursing workers have been dead. We, we run background checks on the community. So they're fine, they're capable. The children, they're going to live. Alright, so let's look at Matthew 5 and how the law continues to shape the end of the New Testament. So it's still informing you and shaping your life. As Christ would speak in Matthew chapter 5. Look, me, uh, look with me, rather, in verse 17. Matthew 5, verse 17. And Christ speaking about the law of law in his ministry. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but praise the Lord to fulfill me. For truly I say to you, until heaven and the earth pass away, not a yoga or a dot will pass from the law. Until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, forget about it, it doesn't matter anymore. Will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them. You see the ongoing teaching ministry of the law of God. We call faith in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that describes in the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see what Jesus just did there on the abiding significance of the law? He just used it in his believes it should. By the way, I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not do well, Let me ask you this. In other words, do you think your righteousness right now exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees? Probably not. Not my fleshly doing, but being in this condition. Third use, you see yourself in the house. Wait. That's the mirror revealing to you. You'll have to turn to Christ and see. But continue hearing and growing guidance of the law. 
Go a little bit further as we watch from Christ's ministry on into the Apostle Paul. We're going back to Romans 13. Maybe I could have been kind to look at your feet this. <laughs> We're going back to Romans 13 to just look at how the New Testament use of the law is shaping our study of the law for the next few weeks. Do we believe in the abiding significance of the law of God in the life of believers? We do. And we have evidence from the ministry of Christ that we will continue to teach the law. And then, as the apostle picks it up in this ministry in Romans 13, look at verse 8. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor. Love does not wrong to you. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see how he speaks of the commandments and their ongoing significance. And he's spirited of the law. He doesn't say, by the way, do away with all the commandments. This is close to what was said before, guess what? This is how we spoke last week about the fear of lawlessness among Christians. Because we speak of grace and love. But you know, all the way back in the early 4th century, the nails hit right on the head. How the law and love and duty and grace work together. Guess what St. Augustine said? Love God? This is the sum total. This is the sum total of the, of the Bible. Love and grace. Love and gospel. Love God and do whatever you want. It is. As you're loving God, you're following. And guess what you want to do? Follow. Ask if you can in his commandments. Oh, it's got to be more complex than that. It's got to be harder than that. It's got to be more burdensome. It is. To know. To love. To love is to obey. Love God. Do whatever you want. That's what I want to do. I want to obey him. That's the ongoing work of the law of the Christian. There's one more text I want to show you just as some of those jobs now. Look at verse Corinthians 324 just for a moment. And this is coming up on my conclusion. I won't keep you a couple more hours. We'll be done here in just a moment. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. I'll begin verse 17, and we'll just read down to verse 19. It means to be ongoing to learn to use the law of God. There should continue to die in the Verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at this time of this call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of this call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. But keep the commandments of God. You see how in the New Testament, at the New Testament direction, 
Thank you for your love. You've given. You've given us some time. I thank you for the time you've given for our lives as well. 